thank you to the team. It's a great song selection that just reminds us of the spiritual transaction that takes place when Christ becomes Lord. Our lives change significantly. We move from one place completely to another place. We become the children of God. It's great to have um, a team here with us too and fill the, the room, the auditorium with sound. Although I might say from a speaker's point of view, for those of you who are watching on the screen, it's a slightly strange situation. Uh, I think it was George Bush, I'm not sure, he, uh, when he was president, had somebody in the audience, perhaps someone amongst the press gallery, threw a shoe at him. Is that sounding familiar? One of the presidents, anyway, had to duck a projectile. And I guess from a speaker's point of view, when you're speaking to a congregation in front of you, you can see where the potential threats are coming from. But you can't see the Wacom team that I work with today are sitting kind of behind and to the sides and so I'm not certain that they're not up to mischief. You can't see, yes they are up to mischief, let me tell you. Uh, Phil, we might just have to get, uh, or Doug, perhaps a camera on these guys as well just to keep them in line. But as part of our regathering, as we think about uh, putting people into this space, we need to use this space as well as, as I've been explaining through our newsletter. So uh, we're just going to have to live with the fact that these guys are here in my kind of peripheral vision and I can see trouble brewing, but I'm going to totally ignore them and just remind them that they are adults and uh, that everything <laughs> will be okay on the day. I don't know whether you've ever had this experience where you've watched someone do something and you've kind of scratched your head and said to yourself, why did they do that? Perhaps someone who's manufacturing something or somebody who's doing something in their garden or perhaps even putting on a piece of apparel or something like that and you've scratched your head and thought, that's really bizarre, inexplicable, a strange kind of thing. Why have they done that? And then uh, perhaps a few minutes later or perhaps some time later, it's all become clear and you've had one of those ah moments where now I understand why you did that. Now I understand why you took that action. And one of the things that I should say in coming to this passage from Luke chapter 3 today as we look at the baptism of Jesus is that we might scratch our heads for a few moments and ask the question, why did he do that? Why did Jesus submit to this baptism, this baptism of John the Baptist, which was, after all, a baptism of repentance, a baptism for the forgiveness of sin? Why did Jesus do that? Was it necessary for him to do that? And I'm hoping that after some careful reflection on the context, the broader picture of what's going on here, we might even have one of those aha moments. And for us to do that today, we're going to need to dig fairly deeply into the Bible, which is good, but we might bend our brains a little bit in the process. We shall see how we go. Just stay with me. And I guess one of the joys of being able to watch this on video is you can rewind and watch it again if something's not clear the first time around. Our passage that I read earlier today comes from Luke. It's a passage that jumps quite a few years in terms of the chronology of Jesus. Our last story from Luke was of Jesus as a boy at the temple at 12 years of age. We jump to this passage to the point where Luke tells us that Jesus is about 30 years of age. So we've missed quite a number of years in his life. And though it would be interesting to know what transpired through those years, the Gospel writers 
are curiously silent on this part of Jesus' life and we need to be satisfied with that. Luke's uh, account of the baptism of Jesus is also quite brief and so we're going to draw some information from the other Gospels as well. In fact, it's a rather interesting exercise sometimes to read the stories of Jesus in parallel in all of the Gospels uh, concurrently just to get a sense of the things that each one have included and others have left out because they all wrote for a purpose and it helps perhaps to flesh out the story a little bit. And I should also say that the story of the baptism of Jesus really ought to be read more broadly in the context of the ministry of John the Baptist. You can't fully understand the baptism of Jesus without properly understanding the ministry of John the Baptist and I'll uh, mention that in our uh, conversation today. Let's take a little bit of a look at the data and I hope that this very small text that you can see there on your screen will make sense. This is the story of the baptism of Jesus as told in the three Gospels, a very small mention of it in the Gospel of John that we'll come to shortly but for the most part our information comes from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and as you can see, uh, sorry Matthew, Mark and Luke, not so much from John, as you can see uh, none of them tell a particularly long story. They all mention that Jesus came from Galilee, specifically from Nazareth which had been his home although Luke omits that detail. They mention, or should I say Matthew in particular, uh, records a conversation between John and Jesus which is significant because it gives us a clue to one of the most important questions that we're going to ask today and that is what does it mean to fulfil all righteousness? A very significant question for us. You'll notice that Matthew, Mark and Luke differ slightly on this next point for after Jesus was baptised uh, Matthew and Mark simply say Jesus was coming up out of the water which is a great argument if you want to make the case that Jesus was one of the early Baptists because he was baptised by immersion, the proper way of course and uh, Luke actually doesn't mention that, he just says uh, as Jesus was praying which is rather interesting. All three of the Gospel authors record that heaven was opened and Jesus saw the Spirit descending as a dove and John the Baptist, and this is the reference that there is in John, John the Baptist also mentions that um, he heard, uh, sorry, that he saw that and you'll find that reference in John chapter 1 verse 32. But significantly, as far as we can tell, nobody else did. We expect there was quite a crowd of people gathered there at the Jordan being baptised and nobody else saw this and so far as we know, nobody else heard what happened as Matthew, Mark and Luke record the voice of God speaking with just a few nuances between the three of them saying, you are my son, this is the voice of God, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So that's the data, that's the raw data that we're working with. But the question that we're going to address is this one, why was Jesus baptised? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be baptised? Well the first uh, the first answer that we might give to that question is this and it's a kind of a negative answer, he was not baptised because he needed to repent from sin. We might initially think that might have been the case unless of course we read more broadly through the scriptures and recognise that across the scriptures it consistently tells us that Jesus was without sin. 
So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, which says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now, the reality is, throughout history, some people have tried to argue that Jesus was as sinful as we are in that he identified so fully with us in our humanity. But the scriptures consistently affirm that Jesus was without sin. And the fact of the matter is, if he'd been a sinner like you and I, then his role, his capacity to be our saviour would be totally compromised because he would be just like us and in need of a saviour himself. Jesus was not baptised because he had sin to repent of or because he needed to seek forgiveness from his Father. One of the popular answers to this question, why was Jesus baptised, is this. He was baptised because he wanted to identify with those who he was coming to minister to. That's you and I, essentially. And we have to be a little bit careful about arguing this too strongly, given what I have just said. But we can say this, that Jesus was saying by his baptism, I am here being obedient and submitting to the will of my Father, just as you are to do. He was providing for us an example of obedience, if you like. He was identifying with us in doing the very thing that we should do. By responding in baptism, uh, people who were being baptised were communicating their fundamental orientation around God's set purposes. In other words, the people coming to be baptised by John were stepping forward in obedience and desiring to walk in obedience and demonstrating that. And by being baptised, Jesus was also communicating his fundamental orientation around God's purposes, the same as the people that he was coming to minister to. That's actually not a bad reason to understand the baptism of Jesus, but there's more. We might uh, also say that Jesus' baptism legitimised the ministry of John the Baptist. As I said a moment ago, we need to understand the stories uh, together. They shouldn't be read separately. And everything that's said about John in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, which we didn't read as part of our service, is confirmed when Jesus stepped up for baptism. John had preached a repentance from sin for the forgiveness of God. John had rebuked those whose deeds didn't match their lives. He censured those who claimed to be religious but produced no fruit to match that claim. He challenged people to seek justice. He confronted those who acted dishonestly. He exhorted people to right living. You know, the people were drawn to the ministry of John. It tells us that great crowds came down to the Jordan And yet I should think it wasn't actually the most comfortable place for them to be because his preaching was not a feel-good ministry. It was a ministry of uh, explaining to them the need to repent and putting forward the challenge for them to live godly lives. Particularly, John would have taken issue with the hypocrisy that there was amongst many and not just uh, the crowd but the religious leaders as well. And it's rather interesting to reflect on this too and be reminded that everything that John said was necessary for uh, salvation in Christ in the first century 
is true for salvation for Christ in the 21st century. Everything that John said about righteousness before God could be lifted and applied directly into our context because it remains true. And so by submitting to John's baptism, Jesus put a divine stamp of approval on the ministry and the message of John, that same message that we sit with today. In the baptism of Jesus, we see a strong anointing of his ministry by God, another reason I think Jesus was baptised. There's some rather interesting things going on in the grammar of Luke in this passage. In fact, as you look at the record in each of the Gospels, lots more emphasis is placed on what comes after the baptism than actually on the baptism. The baptism clause in verse 21 in Luke chapter 3 is actually a subordinate clause to verse 22, which speaks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Father in heaven. That's what Luke Matthew and Mark want us to focus on what happened afterwards. Now, I'm conscious for the potential for some confusion in the use of language here for using terms like being baptised by the Spirit or anointed by the Spirit carries different meaning for different people. But let's just for a moment put that aside and have a look at what's happening here. Again, let me say, the greatest concern of the Gospel authors is not that Jesus was baptised, but what happened after his baptism. And the thing that happened was he was anointed by God. And it's this anointing that makes him the Messiah. Immediately after the baptism of Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Something significant has changed in this moment. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius, as is recorded for us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said these words, You know what has happened all throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus was anointed by God for his ministry and his baptism. For those of you who were listening in last week, you'll remember we kind of raised the question, what was Jesus' self-awareness of his own role as Messiah in that space as a boy? How did that develop? And it seems clear that his his understanding of his role as fully human and fully divine did develop over time, but there's no misunderstanding in this space. This is the moment when Jesus fully understands his divine commission uh, in its fullness, in its completeness and he acts accordingly from this point on. And so it is an anointing of his ministry and his baptism is a sign of his consecration or if you like his dedication to his father's will. For in that moment of baptism uh, God responds to with those words and Mark who loves descriptive language. If you look through the Gospel of Mark, it's the the Gospel of action and activity. And Mark, who loves descriptive language, talks about the heavens being torn apart and the descent of the Spirit onto Jesus echoes the voice of the Old Testament prophets, uh, the Spirit coming to rest upon God's Messiah. Heaven, Heaven is open, the Spirit descends, a voice is heard from heaven. And all of these things indicate something significant, and that is 
the end times have begun. The work of the Messiah is now taking place. Redemption is about to uh, be uh, appearing. A new creation has dawned. And it's in this spirit that Jesus goes from the Jordan and face down the strong man, face the temptations of Satan. It's in this spirit that Jesus went forth and preached the kingdom. He preached uh, the kingdom of repentance. He cast out demons. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. By this same authority, he forgave sins. He proclaimed the righteousness of the kingdom. His baptism was an important step in that whole purpose of God in judgment and redemption. And that brings us to the last uh, and perhaps most significant point that I want to make in relation to this question, why was Jesus baptised? And it was on the lips of, uh, of Matthew's Gospel. It's proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Now that's quite a hard statement. What does that actually mean, to fulfil all righteousness? How do you fulfil all righteousness? Well, as we know, righteousness or right standing before God can only be achieved if sin is dealt with and the only way that sin can be dealt with is through the forgiveness of sins by God. And this, we know from the Scripture, is made possible through Jesus' death on the cross. Put really simply, for any of us to be right before God, Jesus had to die on the cross in our place, to die for our sin. And so to fulfil all righteousness, I believe Jesus the Messiah at his baptism was looking forward to a forgiveness, which means that his baptism was actually looking forward to the cross or another deeper baptism in which the sins of the world would be dealt with. Now, you're starting to see some links in the scripture here, right? This is where those aha moments might take place. Because in a couple of places through the Gospels, Jesus actually referred to his impending death, prophetically, as a baptism. In Mark chapter 10, verse 38, for example, he challenged the request made by James and John to sit at his right hand and his left hand in glory. These guys were keen to kind of assume some sort of important place. And Jesus asked them whether they could undergo the baptism that he was to undergo prophetically referring to something yet to come, his death on the cross. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, for example, Jesus referred to his death as a baptism that he had to undergo. And then if we jump outside the Gospels to somewhere like Romans chapter 6, for example, we hear Paul speaking there about a spiritual baptism that takes place in us when we become Christians because we are baptised spiritually into the baptism of Christ, not the baptism that took place there at the Jordan, but the baptism that took place on the cross. When we become Christians, we participate fully in what Jesus did on the cross. Our sins were carried by him and that has, uh, they have been dealt with uh, because we are able to identify completely with him. And so, back to the question, why was Jesus baptised? Well, perhaps for the same reason that we're baptised physically, to point to something deeper that God does in our lives by His Spirit when we become Christians. Uh, and I believe this is the greater baptism that Jesus performs and is testified to by both Luke and John. 
If we go to Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 16, for example, the people wondered whether John the Baptist might be the Christ. But John the Baptist, who was, he was a tremendous witness to Jesus, constantly just pointing the people to someone greater than himself, pointed to the one who would come after him, Jesus, who would baptise, he said, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John acknowledged that his baptism was done with water, but Jesus' baptism would be one uh, by the Spirit, a spiritual baptism. And if we jump into John too, just by way of supporting this argument, John reported the same observation in John chapter 1, verse 33, when he said, the man on whom you see the Holy Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. So what does all this actually mean? other than the fact that perhaps we've bent our minds a bit with some of this theology this morning or today. Does it really matter? There's the question. What, is it, what difference does it make to life now? Well, I say to you it makes a really significant difference to life right now because at the very core of what we've been talking about is the question, who is Jesus? Is he just a mere man like you and I, a mere person who came and lived amongst us just a good person who upset the authorities and so was put to death or was he more than that? Well, I would put it to you that the story of Jesus' baptism has been told to demonstrate many truths about Jesus which culminate in uh, two most powerful and important statements about Jesus. The first one which I've just talked about uh, is this, that the physical baptism of Jesus points us towards the spiritual baptism that he underwent in death and that makes possible right standing before God for anybody. And second, practically for us, anyone who submits to him and undergoes that spiritual baptism themselves by appropriating the baptism that Jesus went through for ourselves, that gift of God that God gives to us, that means our sins are dealt with permanently and completely we are set apart in the same way that Jesus was set apart. We are empowered through God in the same way that Jesus was empowered for the service that we are now part of in the kingdom that we are now part of. We don't have to do things in our own strength when it comes to serving God because His Spirit works in us and through us and that makes an enormous difference in the manner in which I live in the world today and tomorrow. On the negative side, if we can catch it in this way, and these are not negatives, but they're kind of, they sound negative. On the negative side, guilt, which used to be so debilitating, has been lifted from me. I believe guilt actually gives rise to a whole lot of stuff in people's lives. Guilt, the capacity to have guilt taken is that gift that God gives us. We can be free from the burdens of the past. We don't need to be looking over our shoulders all the time regretting what's gone behind because although the scripture says yes the old has passed the new has come God actually works through that space to bring new life I'm no longer a slave to sin or the sinful desires we sang about that we're free from that compulsion that the human nature uh, brings us to death is no longer that ugly fearful specter that it was I've told this story on many occasions of a friend of mine Ray his name was who was well and truly in his 80s, his health was declining uh, and he sat down with me one day out under some peppercorn trees after church 
And he said to me, you know, David, I have no fear of death. I know exactly where I'm going. I'm a little bit concerned about the process and I understand where he was coming from when he talks about that. But there was that deep and abiding assurance in his life that he would be with the Lord and we can have that. I'm no longer under condemnation, neither from God nor man. I'm no longer controlled by this sinful mind hostile to God. And there's positive things. All of those are positive, of course. Uh, But there are other things. In his strength and uh, in his baptism, I've been anointed by his spirit in the same manner that Jesus was anointed for uh, ministry. There's a fresh anointing that, uh, that comes into us as we then serve as servants in the kingdom. And Paul spoke about this on a number of occasions. Let's just plunder a couple of uh, illustrations here from 1 Corinthians 12, where he talked about the gifts that God gives, the spiritual gifts that come into this space that might be exercised for the common good, for the edification of the church. He talks about the gift of wisdom, being able to to know right and wrong, the gifts, uh, the gift of the word of knowledge, to know God's mind in certain places, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, uh, the gifts of being able to exercise miraculous power, the gift of prophecy, the gift of discernment, to know whether the voice being heard is the spirit of God or a deceiving spirit, the gift of tongues, and Paul talks about other gifts too, hospitality and helps and administration and preaching and so forth. All of them given by God, all of them given as he determines, all of them given for one purpose and that is to build up the body of Christ, not to make me feel special or uh, somehow set apart from others, but all of them given that we might edify one another and build one another up. And Paul actually makes this really clear in 1 Corinthians uh, in a church that was struggling with their kind of selfish appropriation of the gifts. He says, we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. These gifts unify us and this baptism that Christ performs on us unifies us. And all of this because Jesus was prepared to submit to the baptism of John as a foreshadowing of this deeper spiritual baptism. Next week we're going to continue our series and conclude our series on the early life of Jesus and Matt's going to have a look at the temptation of Christ, a fascinating passage. But before concluding and praying today, it would be remiss of me not to, in this space, uh, put out the invitation, the perhaps obvious invitation to physical baptism, the baptism of repentance, the baptism of obedience to Christ. If you've been thinking about this, if God is speaking to you even today, about your response to this story of our Lord and Saviour who himself was baptised, please don't hesitate to speak to us. We have some struggles in doing it in terms of a baptism in the space that we have here in the church with COVID restrictions, but there are other ways that we can address this question. If God is speaking to you about baptism, don't put it off. Don't say, I'll deal with it next month or next year or whenever. If God's Spirit is speaking... Uh, please let me encourage you to respond. And likewise, if you're listening into this service today and you've never actually responded in obedience to Jesus, but the process, perhaps the opportunity today to reflect again on who he is and what he's done is just stirring in your heart. Let me invite you to consider taking 
some steps of obedience today, repenting, asking God for forgiveness and inviting him into your heart, allowing him to be Lord of your life. Let me just say it will be the best decision that you will ever make. It won't make your life easy, but it will transform your life. Let's pray and then we're going to invite Matt and the team to conclude our service today. Lord, we want to thank you again for your word, for this really short but powerful story of the physical baptism of Christ and the manner in which that points us to the deeper spiritual baptism that you, Lord Jesus, underwent as you went to the cross for each one of us. Father, that is the baptism that we long for. We acknowledge that the baptism that we perform, the physical baptism that we perform, is a symbolic, uh, important symbolic act pointing to a deeper and more significant that baptism, a deeper and significant baptism that takes place in us when we allow you to be Lord of our lives. For Lord, we know that when we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, when we repent of our sin, when we ask for your forgiveness, you do that work of transformation in us. You baptise us, you make us new, you transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you give us new life and new life in Christ. Lord God, we want to thank you. Father, we pray for those today uh, who are listening into this service or watching this service. May your spirit be speaking in this place. May you be glorified in all things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt.